Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Skybound Capital's podcast series under the macroscope. And it's been quite some time since we've had Skybound's Chief Investment Officer, Theodore Shu on the podcast. Theo, great to have you back on uh, on a quite significant day uh, for the inhabitants and the residents of the city where you are based, Shanghai, and uh, the broader Chinese community. Uh, there's been quite a a dramatic lifting of COVID restrictions, and, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But before we start, uh, perhaps you could give us a sense of, of what the last two and a half months have looked like in terms of the Chinese lockdown. Sure. Um, I mean, a lot of people have heard about the Chinese lockdown and probably reading the news about things in Shanghai. But actually, the lockdown was uh, definitely far beyond just Shanghai. Shanghai has a population of about 25 million people, which is a very small percentage of Chinese population. But based on our estimate, more than 10% of Chinese population in the past two months were in a somewhat type of lockdown. And most of those lockdowns were very strict, full-scale lockdown where people are not allowed to step out of their houses. They're not allowed to go anywhere. They basically are... Uh, ordered to stay indoor the whole time. And in the case of Shanghai, it's uh, it's uh, as strict as that. So basically the entire 25 million people were ordered to stay in for an entire two months in, since the beginning of April. But again, that that is really just the entire population. Um, a, big, uh, a big portion of that uh, 25 million people were starting the lockdown much earlier. So they started roughly early uh, March. So many people have been in lockdown for the past three months where they couldn't do anything outside of their place. As we progress the podcast, we're going to encourage our our listeners, our viewers to to get in touch and pose any specific questions they might have to you, uh, Theo, which you'd be able to answer with much greater authority than just within our network. But The sense is that there were very stringent uh, regulations, as you've indicated, but now quite a radical uh, exit from those restrictions. There's nothing gradual about it. You were intimating earlier before we started recording the podcast that uh, it's it's only really uh, an inability to go and sit in a restaurant uh, that that hasn't been lifted from these restrictions. But otherwise, um, most of your freedoms are back if we can we can call them that is is this a change of heart do you think in terms of what's become known as the zero covid policy um i think it's not an explicit change of heart as yet but it does imply or give people some hope uh for the following quarters that there might be a change in the zero covid policy and you're absolutely right um, the lifting of the lockdown in Shanghai today is coming as a surprise in terms of its scale, because a lot of people, particularly investors, were expecting a gradual process where um, your freedom will be given back uh, in a phased uh, progress. But instead, uh, we are actually enjoying our freedom uh, right now, uh, right today. And this is not just confined to Shanghai, as I just mentioned, uh, a big po- uh, population in the entire China was also in uh, kind of lockdown 
in the past two months. So uh, similarly, uh, many parts of Beijing, the capital, uh, also saw their lockdowns being lifted uh, today. Uh, so this is uh, quite a surprise uh, to market participants and also quite an um, abrupt shift from the very strict zero COVID policy. I think um, the government is definitely not going to say out loud that they are giving up the zero COVID policy now, just in the same way that they're not making any big announcement that they are lifting the uh, lockdowns. Yeah. They basically just let people to go out, but they, they didn't really um, let you know that what you can do or what you can't do. It just uh, people found out uh, when they are out that they, they can pretty much do everything. Yeah. Um, frankly, I don't think there will be anything explicit in the next uh, few quarters prior to the party Congress in October, November. But things are... Uh, taking place in between and changes are taking place. Theo, you mentioned surprise for the investment community. I, I'm assuming, uh, perhaps incorrectly, that uh, it's pleasant surprise. And, and perhaps you could reflect on, on the impact of the, this easing of restrictions on China's economy. What sort of rebound can we expect given what's happened uh, this week? Sure, um, you are right that it is a pleasant surprise. Um, the easing will relieve uh, a lot of the businesses um, in terms of their normal business activities because uh, they really were stuck in a situation where many businesses were about to die. Um, we are no longer talking about bankruptcies, etc. Literally, businesses are disappearing overnight simply because they can no longer sustain. They don't have people working there. They don't uh, really have either. Uh, therefore, in that regard, I think it, it really is a big relief to all businesses overall. Are we going to see a, a very sharp rebound of business activities in China? I suspect no, um, because uh, once... Um, uh, businesses are in such distress, it's just almost impossible that they can be revived overnight. So that's number one. And number two, I think um, it's the loss of confidence. Mm. It's the loss of confidence. It's uh, the voting of confidence by no not only just the foreign investors, uh, foreign expats who live in China now. Uh, we are seeing a lot of people depart China in the past few months. A lot of people were literally forced out of China and uh, mainland Chinese, they can no longer easily apply for passports either. So a lot of those measures were um, really laying pressure on overall economy and that pressure is not going away immediately after the lockdown is lifted. But with that said, we are seeing uh, definitely rebounds of the econ economic growth and everything, um, it will be it will be taking place slowly, and as I said, we don't foresee any material change in the following two quarters. Uh, frankly, I, I I do anticipate the entire country to be in a standstill uh, for at least a few more months again before the party congress. And Theo, it's impossible to ignore the 
additional challenge, constraint, call it what you like, which we've experienced globally uh, of inflation, uh, rampant inflation in many cases. You've been talking about north of 8% CPI being reported in Europe. Uh, what is this additional challenge uh, causing in the Chinese economy? What, what are the implications for China specifically here? Um, I think China is in a very, very difficult position now because um, it is struggling the dilemma of uh, having all its main clients experiencing this big inflation, but it, it itself is not seeing inflation at all. So, but at the same time, Chinese monetary policy is following closely with the US, with the rest of the developed markets. So now what China has to cope with really is, okay, your clients are under pressure and they are trying to uh, pass on that pressure to you, uh, make sure that you don't hike your uh, prices too quickly, too often. But at the same time, uh, China is um, seeing all these uh, imported pressure from the upstream, from the materials that it is buying, um, it really is making it very difficult for Chinese businesses because again, as I said, they are stuck in the middle. And at the same time, the Chinese central bank can do nothing. A lot of investors are expecting, okay, uh, now that China is not experiencing that much of inflation and China still has relatively uh, kind of good budget and everything. Can China just ease up? Can China just jump on a, a QE so that it can stimulate its own economy? The quick answer is no, China cannot. China is actually very much constrained by uh, many other factors like how the provincial governments are doing in general um, in terms of their financial standing, as well as um, how big a threat a capital flight might have on the country. Um, the Chinese currency has been very strong in the past few years, but it depreciated by over 10% just within weeks, in the past few weeks. So we are seeing a tremendous pressure on the Chinese government and also the Chinese central bank, which is also stuck in this position where it can not really jump on anything too material to boost the economy, but at the same time, it is under pressure from the government that it needs to do something to boost the economy. Therefore, I think uh, globally investors will see gradually many, many measures being announced in China. But my point is, uh, do not expect any of those measures be it uh, fiscal stimulus or monetary stimulus to be actually meaningful or effective to the extent that the Chinese economy will suddenly get this big boost and it will fire back to uh, the normal level. No, I, I don't think that will be the case. Uh, Chinese economy will be under pressure for the rest of the year. Yeah, so as always, it remains a very delicate uh, balancing act for, for policymakers. On, on the subject of policy, Theo, uh, while you have been in this extended lockdown, war has raged on between Russia and Ukraine. 
um, it, it's very hard uh, for people to, to gain real clarity on uh, where China stands on this conflict. Um, what is their view? Uh, are China ultimately going to be uh, subjected to similar sanction risks if they don't come out uh, against Russia? There's a lot of moving parts here. Sure. Um, I mean, speaking of uh, China's stance on this Russia move, I think I will actually quote uh, U.S. strategy towards China, uh, particularly towards the China-Taiwan relationship for the past few decades. So the, the summary of uh, the U.S. strategy is uh, called strategic ambiguity. And I think that's exactly what China was doing uh, when it was uh, facing this uh, uh, Russia-Ukraine crisis. Um, China, as many people know, are kind of bonded with uh, Russia on many fronts. Um, China is also very close to Russia, even militarily. And this is exactly why there was speculation that China might intervene into that war, even in a physical way. Um, but that's not going to happen. I think we discussed this before. Uh, overall, China will try to stay neutral. Uh, China, uh, but that neutrality is not necessarily clear cut. It's not black and white. It's more the strategic ambiguity that I was alluding to. Um, China cannot afford to be entirely isolated. Because currently, uh, China stays quite far from the West. And if China suddenly loses uh, its last friends, then China will be really um, purely isolated. So that, that's a no-go for China. But the other thing is, um, I think China understands very clearly that there is no future with a closer relationship with Russia either. So it is definitely in China's better interests to be aligning itself closer to the West. But then the question is how? And the, the Russian crisis now definitely is a big warning call to China. China now understands it clearly the types of risks, the types of sanctions it might face if it miscalculates, if it, it, it makes a wrong move. Uh, politically or militarily. Mm -hmm. So that is good. That is uh, good in the sense that uh, China understands uh, the, the outcomes and China uh, will try its best to avoid such consequences. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the bigger question really, as you said, is uh, um, how China is moving forward. How is China aligning itself um, closer to the real friends in a way. Um, I, I think people uh, globally do not necessarily see uh, such a relationship between, for example, China and Euro, Europe or China and US um, as friends. But if you look back into the history, uh, China was really very friendly and, and, and it was uh, um, the other way around too. So it was very uh, bilateral and, and mutual. Um, I think it is possible that China can re return back to that uh, better status than where it is in right now. Uh, but in the very, very short term, I think politics still 
trumps everything else. Again, I, I go back to my point on the party Congress. Uh, in the very short term, um, the focus will be on that and there will be no material change, uh, all moves, uh, just rest assured. So I, I don't think China will uh, take any drastic moves in the following month at all. It's a delicate position. Uh, some would argue it's, it's fragile. Uh, what you've outlined just on this podcast are myriad challenges uh, facing the Chinese leadership, the Chinese economy, uh, all at the same time. It's almost like a perfect storm. And, and you see some commentary suggesting that given all these challenges, that China, at least in the near term, may have become or is heading towards being uninvestable. Do you, do you see it that way, Theo? Um, we, we will never call China uninvestable simply because of its market debts and the number of people there. I mean, let me give you a worst case scenario. Say China wages a war, China loses the war, there is a regime change in China, but the country will not be wiped out from the world. If you're looking at uh, live videos from uh, Kiev in Ukraine today, people are walking on the street. Life is almost back to normal. I mean, the businesses are go still going on. That will be the case with China too. So as long as China remains a big country, there are that many people in China, it will always present investment opportunities, business opportunities, it will always be investable. However, as investors looking at China, uh, tracking the regime shifts um, going on in China now, I think for investors, they need to be fully aware of the shifts and all of the directions of these shifts where um, they are going to see future investment opportunities are likely to be very, very different from what they were used to. I mean, I, I think even the layman investor would probably recall names like Alibaba, Tencent, et cetera. Those are household names. And those uh, companies delivered tremendous return for investors over the past decade. But what I'm saying is going forward, it will be different. It will be different because uh, China is in a different phase of its growth and uh, the, the political aspects in China are also nurturing uh, further growth of some other sectors, some other businesses. And there will always be new opportunities and China will remain investable. Well, Theo, we look forward to exploring some of those new opportunities with you because today, as always, just so wonderful to have your very keen insight from somebody who has their feet on the ground and can unpack uh, some of the stories and uh, assess their, their truth or otherwise uh, within China. But for now, we we wish you well, Theo, and uh, I'm sure you're just so eager to get out and uh, go and work in an office and, and uh, go to a grocery store, which has been very tricky for you for the last two months and beyond. So... As always, thank you for, for your insights. We look forward to your next appearance on the podcast series. Uh, Under the Macroscope is available on uh, Apple, on Spotify, on the Google podcast platform for Android. And uh, you can download past editions of Under the Macroscope 
at Skybound Capital's website, which is www.skyboundcapital.com. And as always, we do encourage you to get in touch. We enjoy the feedback. We enjoy the questions as members of Skybound Capital's research team uh, from Theo uh, in Shanghai, from Jabir in London. Uh, we have research uh, team members all around the globe and, and we would love to get your insights, even some suggestions for uh, podcast topics that may be of interest to you. So get those queries, those questions, those suggestions coming in. Thank you for being on the podcast once again. And until next time on Under the Macroscope, cheerio.